Welcome to Health Talk by Flowly. We begin every episode with a brief exercise to shift your nervous system closer to flow state. We do this so your nervous system can settle and you'll feel relaxed and ready to experience the interviews in each episode. Julian, who is the voice of our Flowly experiences, will take a few seconds to lead this exercise. Take a moment to adjust yourself into a comfortable position. Take a slow breath in through your nose, hold it for a few seconds, and slowly exhale through your nose as well. In your next breath, breathe in for a count of five. One, two, three, four, five. And now exhale for a count of five. One, two, three, four, five. Continue to take slow breaths in through your nose and out through your nose as well. Counting in five and counting out five. We have you breathe in this pattern because it equals six breaths per minute, which is the average breathing rate at which people can best control their nervous system. In Flowly, we do individualized calibration to find the exact breathing rate healthiest for you because it varies from person to person. For today, we'll end this exercise with one more five count in, one, two, three, four, five, and a five count out, one, two, three, four, five. Let's begin today's health talk. Hey y'all, my name is Celine and I'm the founder of Flowly, your host for today's health talk. As some of you might know, Flowly is a mobile platform for chronic pain and anxiety management. And essentially, we teach you how to better control your heart rate and your breathing to better manage your nervous system. In our health talk, we invite everyone from chronic pain, chronic illness, and mental health warriors, professionals, about tips and techniques that everybody could benefit from. And today I'm super excited to introduce Lauren because Lauren's someone we've worked with. Lauren is someone that I've listened to her work, read her work, um, heard about. Lauren Friedman is an entrepreneur, a voice actor, a chronic illness advocate, and a writer. Lauren has a wealth of experience advocating and sharing information around chronic illness, stemming from her own journey with depression and anxiety, and then being diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease in 2017. Lauren's experience with Hashimoto's and sleep disorders has generated her own interest in building an invisible illness community, now carried out by her own amazing podcast, The Uninvisible Pod, which I encourage everyone to listen to if you haven't already. We've been working with Lauren, and she's actually a patient advisor for Flowly, um, talking to us and giving feedback around experiences and programs we're developing on the platform. So I'm really happy to have Lauren here today. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is super exciting. So I'm just going to dive right in because I feel like we have so many questions to go through. I want to start by having you share your definition of an invisible illness, um, because I know many of our community members are coming in with you know, varying depths of understanding um, and experience with chronic conditions. So maybe if you wanted to share your perspective of what an invisible or invisible illness is. Yeah, absolutely. I'll keep it pretty short and sweet. Um, 
my definition of invisible illness, um, the uninvisible community, if you will, is um, individuals who are living with an illness or a disability that doesn't carry along with it a visual signifier. So I'm talking about like mobility aids or a change in your everyday appearance. So for example, I'm someone who has a few invisible illnesses, including anxiety and depression. You can't see those from the outside most days, um, as well as Hashimoto's disease and sleep disorders. None of these are things that I walk around with sort of a sign on my chest that says this is what I've got. Um, and I think, you know, we live in a world where our concept of disability is usually attached to a wheelchair, right? We see wheelchair mm -hmm. seats um, on public transport and things like that. And while that kind of awareness and the expansion of that kind of awareness is still super important, um, this is a portion of the disability and chronic illness world where there are none of those visual signifiers. And so we're just fighting to be understood, heard, um, and really taken seriously by the people around us from friends and loved ones to the medical community. So how did your own experience with invisible illness begin? Because I know you just mentioned anxiety, depression, something you've been, you know, working with a long time. I want to start with that, like how your experience began, but also if you could transition into how you felt like your experience of these invisible illnesses changed when you found sort of like the language for it, like you were talking about um, and learning about like the idea of spoonies and invisible illness. How did that change your experience? So um, as a teenager and young adult, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, which was connected to OCD, which I developed after September 11th and panic attacks that I was having from about the age of 14 onward. In 2017, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disease of the thyroid. So it basically means that my body attacks my thyroid and puts me into hypothyroidism, which is an underactive thyroid state, as well as obstructive sleep apnea, which all in all means I'm a very moody, sleepy lady. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, language actually matters more than ever given the current state of the world. And a diagnosis for me was everything because it gave me a game plan, right? Like diagnosis means treatment, but many people don't have the comfort and validation of a diagnosis. And I want to acknowledge them as we're talking about this stuff too. The Spoonie community, for those of you who don't know, um, Spoonies is the nickname that those of us with chronic illness give ourselves. It's based on a theory that was written about by Christine Miserando uh, in, I want to say like 10 or 15 years ago, called Spoon Theory, where she was basically explaining uh, to her friends who were not having experiences like she was about how she had to sort of eke out her energy throughout the day. And um, it takes a certain amount of spoons to do certain activities for us. And where we wake up with so many spoons, your average person who's in decent health wakes up with more of those spoons, right? So we've got a little bit less energy that we can put into everyday activities. But when I started connecting with my community and becoming part of an inclusive community as well, because the Spoonie community I found to be really inclusive and welcoming, um, gave me a deeper understanding of my own experience. And my own experience early on, especially with regard to Hashimoto's and sleep apnea, was really defined by a pretty shocking moment of medical gaslighting. Now, for those who don't know what that means, <laughs> it is um, when someone tries to convince you that something's all in your head, 
that what you're explaining as a lived experience doesn't exist. And I realized in that moment when I had a doctor telling me that it was all in my head, that women in particular aren't talking about our health crisis. I mean, hell, we don't even talk about our periods, let alone... Mm -hmm going on with our health. And we need to destigmatize these conversations and normalize discussion of the spectrum of human ability and deepen our empathy and compassion for people whose bodies weren't designed to fit into this idea of American culture that's this, you know, nine to five work life, work before life, nose to the grindstone, like bootstrapping culture. For me, it was really about reconnecting to who I am, being sure of what I was feeling, knowing what was physiological, um, knowing that just because someone told me it was in my head didn't mean that was necessarily true. I was really um, supported by the Spoonie community and the people who I've met since joining the community. And they've really redefined the experience for me. So I went from feeling confused and alone and not knowing where to turn to having a game plan, getting advice from people who'd been through it before, finding people who are experiencing things like me, and even experiencing some of these adverse experiences that we're trying to flip the, the script on and change the narrative of. Yeah. And I think on that note, I would be remiss not to ask a follow-up question to that because, um, as you know, I shared that I was going to be interviewing you today with our Flowly community on the app. And um, a Flowly community member asked about your diagnosis with Hashimoto's because they were saying that, you know, relatively, you've been diagnosed pretty recently in the past like three, four years. What advice would you give your younger self in getting the help that you would need even when you weren't diagnosed yet? Because as you mentioned and identified that there is a big segment of the population, they don't have the privilege of getting diagnosed or they've been gaslighted into thinking they don't need a diagnosis. So what resources might have helped you in your experience before you received diagnosis um, and maybe after? There is a few things I should mention there. Number one is trusting yourself above all else and knowing that your body is sending you signals and if you think something's happening, it's happening, period. So in terms of overcoming that gaslighting, making sure that you're also then surrounding yourself with others who believe you. And for me, early on, I was connected to a friend who's a health coach who's been on my show. Her name's Sasha Alexander. And she was really helpful in leading me to resources, including Dr. Isabella Wentz, who's a pharmacist who lives in Colorado who has Hashimoto's. A lot of sort of thyroid approved practitioners on her website and a lot of insights that she she shares of her own experience and of um, treatment plans, treatment options and holistic approaches. And I think for me, the biggest game changer was when I discovered functional and integrative medicine. So mm. that's a tough one because it's not always covered by insurance. In fact, it rarely is. But you can sometimes find, as I have, um, endocrinologists and other practitioners who are in the medical system and trying to work on a functional medicine approach, which really means combining holistic and Western medicine. So we know that such medications might work for this condition. We know that um, you know these tests might be necessary, but if we take a functional medicine approach, maybe we can do supportive things like adding acupuncture in or physical therapy or working on our diet and our nutrition, which have all been huge game changers for me as well. Those are important things to be looking out for. And if you have trouble funding this kind of work and, and funding trips to integrate 
integrative and functional medicine practitioners, I highly encourage you to get involved in various communities, be that on Facebook or otherwise, that offer support for autoimmune and thyroid conditions because often you can get help in funding a lot of these treatments. That's a great tip, especially finding these online communities that might have experience in that way. That's a really good thing to keep in mind. The other question we really wanted to ask you was, um, what is your daily routine? Because, you know, we know each day is really different from each person, especially depending on what invisible illness or chronic condition you're managing. But I think a lot of our users get really interested in how different people manage their day. And I like to get into like the nitty gritty, literally like what time do you wake up? What's the first thing you eat? Like, how do you manage your day? I love this question, actually, because I have a a pretty set morning routine. And it's really important for me to keep that routine in order to maintain my mental health and do the work I do in a, an environment that feels productive for me. So, um, and I want to emphasize that as I go into this, as I like launch into this, because I think it's so important, especially during lockdown right now, as some of us are still in quarantine and stuck inside, that we really curate experiences for ourselves and give ourselves structure. So for me, I wake up around 10 or 11 a.m. and that's having slept about 11 or 12 hours. So I go to bed at like, you know, 11 or 12 the night before and then get up at 10 or 11. I'm no good before 10 a.m. I'm a sleepy lady, like I mentioned. So I've had to really rebuild my life from the ground up to work around my body's abilities in that sense. And this schedule is super precious to me. And the biggest reason why I now work for myself and feel I have no other recourse but to do that in many ways is because of my functional exhaustion and fatigue. So first thing I do when I get up is that I pee (laughs) and I take some medication. I've got thyroid meds that I have to take sort of earlier in the morning and I have to wait half an hour before I eat. So instead of like sitting around and feeling hungry, I've found ways to fill that time. And I now give myself a full hour to settle into the day. So I spend that time making a morning smoothie, checking in on my cat, opening the windows. I have half a cup of coffee because if I have a whole cup, I get too jittery. You know, I get some sunshine and some fresh air. And also as soon as I'm up out of bed, I also make my bed. That's a really important thing for me because I need a moment of success as soon as I wake up. Like I've gotten up and I've created this structure for myself, but I've also Mm. given myself something to return to later in the evening. That's like this beautiful cozy spa-like made bed. Um, So it's just a nice part of that full day structure for me, like a beginning and an end in that sense. Then once that morning hour has passed, so at this point it's like 11 or 12, um, and I've had my breakfast, taken the meds that I have to take with food, I open up my computer and I do any number of things. This could be responding to emails, doing an interview, being interviewed, writing, networking, recording VO um, or recording an interview, um, scheduling, billing, editing, producing, outreach to new guests, creating content, social media posting, and all of that kind of like follow-up and interaction with my community. Then I work straight through till about six or seven in the evening. I take a working lunch. So that smoothie that I make in the morning, um, I put half protein in it and that sort of keeps me going through the day. So I have half of it in the morning because it's chock full of like, I mean, probably seven to nine fruits and vegetables. 
Um, and like, I swear by my Vitamix, if you guys don't have a Vitamix, like, or a Nutribullet or some kind of really good blender, it's such a good investment and it's changed my life and my diet in huge ways. So I have a working lunch with the other half of that smoothie while I'm doing emails and stuff. I'll pause. I might take an hour or a half hour to like have a break too, but usually I work through and then by six or seven in the evening. And that's not like a hard and fast, uh, stopping time because when you work for yourself, you're always working in many ways. Yeah. Um, I sit down for dinner and relax. Um, I unwind in front of the TV and spending time with my cat. Um, and I also like to exercise every day. And because I live in Los Angeles where it can get kind of hot, I like to exercise in the early evening. So around that time when I stop for dinner, depending on how hungry I am, I will either go for a walk or ride my stationary bike on my patio, um, with it, like watching a show while doing it and, and stretch or, and then eat, or I'll eat first and then do the exercise. I try to exercise three to four days a week and I'm slowly trying to work up to five days. Um, and that's, it's been a really important part of my routine and my self-care. I also then use that time to check in with my close friends and family. I'm usually texting some people during the day. I sometimes see one of my best friends who I'm sort of like COVID bubbled with for dinner. So sometimes we'll go over to her house or mine um, and hang out and watch something together. And then um, as I'm starting to really wind down and get ready for bedtime, I make a list of the things I need to do the following day for work. I like to also get in a little time on my Flowly app a couple hours before I go to bed just mm. because of blue screen stuff. Because even though at a certain time I turn off the blue light on my computer, my phone, um, and I wear blue light glasses watching TV and stuff, when I'm doing the VR stuff, it's harder to wear my glasses. So I like to do that a, like an hour or two before bed so that the blue light doesn't affect my eyes because I want to see the full colors in the app and everything. And then once I do get into bed, I play a meditation, sometimes a soundscape, sometimes a meditation. I'm a big fan of the Insight Timer app. And I have a million support pillows. Like I have a pillow that I put between my knees and I have a pillow yeah. for over my eyes and I, you know, like all of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I let myself drift off to sleep. For me, it's really important to be organized, not rigid and to be engaged with other people, especially during this time where we're not socializing as much with people in person. I mean, if it weren't COVID times right now, I would be a little more social and, you know, be making plans to go out and stuff. But I also have really hard and fast rules about the weekend that I work Monday to Friday and on Saturday and Sunday, I do not work. I make exceptions here and there, but I really try to stick to that rule for my own well-being. Because I'm, I work for myself, I am able to also give myself breaks when I want to. Like I took my birthday off this year, you know, and things like that. And I, I like to leave an away message that's like, I hope you get to take your birthday off. So that, <laughs> oh, that like, you know, yeah. we have this expectation of the way that people need to work in this country. But I think it's our job, especially during unprecedented times, to change that narrative. And there are quite a few narratives I'm actively trying to change all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much my day. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I love the organized but not rigid because I think even making your bed in the morning, that's a type of organization and really helps kind of cleanse your palate, I think, for the yes. day. 
but then not being rigid, understanding that, you know, there are some days we have to forgive ourselves or gives our, give ourselves a leeway when things, situations or feelings change. So I, I love that. And that I think is a really cool detail and peek into your day. Um, yeah. And it's an easy thing to do too. Like I have a big duvet and I have a very, like a duvet cover that makes me really happy. Like it just looks like a watercolor painting and just the act of straightening out the duvet. I don't like arrange the pillows in any special way. I just get the duvet over things because it gives me a clean visual palette and I'm a super visual person. I have not historically always been the tidiest person either, but I've found that when I clear my space, I clear my mind. And so that's been something that I've really had the time to invest in since lockdown started. Um, it's like the same thing as like with my desk, I like to like, you know, be working, but then put things back where they go. Um, groceries, bring them in and I put things where they go and like creating that more minimal visual field for me has really helped reduce anxiety. That that literally perfectly segues into one of uh, my questions. That was also another question of fully community member was asking was, you know, what are some daily rituals you might have or daily uh, I say rituals because I think it sounds like so much more celebratory than habits. Yeah. Um, of dealing and managing anxiety or swaying moods um, or even depression, if that's something you're still managing mm-hmm. on a daily basis. You mentioned like insight timer, you mentioned slowly, even making your bed. Like I feel like these might all be going into that ritual you create for yourself. Totally. I mean, yes. So like aside from those things that we're reiterating, um, my time in the morning to wake up is super precious to me. And that's, that's like, I call it my like time to become a human being. <laughs> you know, I have friends who like text me in the morning and I'll be like, let me get back to you in an hour. I'm just becoming human. Um, I sort of feel like I've been pupating when I sleep and then I wake up and I'm sort of like, you know, a, a butterfly coming out of the, the uh, cocoon. So having that time in the morning and being able to carve that out for myself is really important. My exercise is really important. That's something that hasn't always been a priority for me. And I'm not exercising with an eye to doing anything but maintaining my health. Um, mm. And I think that's something that like, I also really struggled with because of body image stuff. Um, yeah. Having come from a background as a trained actor, um, you know, and this expectation to look a certain way. I mean, I live in Los Angeles for crying out loud. You know, Um, so there's a lot of that pressure, especially when you're a a public persona like I am. I mean, certainly not in the Spoonie community, right? But it is something that I'm aware of. And I'm just so grateful to have my health that when I was really sick and trying to get well, the changing of my diet and the very slow and steady reincorporation of exercise into my daily routine became something that was no longer about the way I looked, but about how I felt. And that shift in understanding a narrative was super, super important for me. I think it's probably really important for everyone who's listening to this, but especially women. And so eating healthy and clean is really important to me, being able to know what I'm putting in my body and how my body feels and reacts to different things I eat. Other rituals for me, I am a learner, a lifelong learner, and deepening my understanding of the world around me is really important. The 24-hour news cycle super stresses me out. Mm. Um, I am not in favor of that. (laughs) I'm in favor of being informed. But I find that I learn just as much from turning off the TV, like not watching the news, but 
going online and looking at, you know, the few publications whose journalism I trust. And then also engaging with my community, um, deepening my understanding of inclusion in particular, because that's something that's underlining a lot of conversations that are being had at the moment. And it's a huge part of who I am and what my community is about. My time with my cat Grayson is super important. I know I've mentioned him already today, but (laughs) I, (laughs) I really think having a pet is such a positive thing, especially when you're dealing with some kind of chronic illness or even loneliness or anxiety. Um, Animals have a sixth sense. I firmly believe that. I genuinely believe that they're largely better than people. (laughs) And when I have panic attacks, my cat just sits there with me. He sits there with me through it. I haven't had any panic attacks since the very beginning of lockdown. So that's a good thing. I mean, part of this ritual for me is also medication and normalizing that it's okay to take meds sometimes. For some of us, that is the work, you know, for me, that looks like antidepressants. Um, It looks like checking in with my coach and therapist. It looks like making sure I'm taking care of my mental health. I mentioned that I use TV to unwind. I create content all day and I need a mental break, which is why I often gravitate toward comedy or like fantasy to really let my mind go somewhere completely different from what I'm used to. When I need a little extra TLC and I'm not you know, getting enough just from talking to my loved ones and like getting support from the people around me. I love a good bath. I'm a big fan of a nice long soak with some candles. Um, And I think so much of what I already mentioned about like curating your space, curating your time, curating your space, reclaiming empowerment to do that, which I kind of had to because I got sick. You know, um, I, I hope that people don't need to get sick to prioritize themselves. But part of that is about bucking the trend with this culture of overwork and busyness that we've been taught is the norm. And really going like, I'm going to prioritize myself. I'm going to prioritize my life. I'm going to prioritize my family. I also love time in my garden. I have a bunch of succulents on my little patio. And while I don't have like a dirt patch, I have a cement patch and I've got a bunch of dirt and pots on it. And that makes me really happy too. So yeah, those are like sort of the main things for me. And I think there are a lot of outlets in all of that that can really help a lot of other people too. I mean, you listed a lot of things. And what I like about that too, is that it resonates with me insofar as you're saying, you're kind of looking at your day and your life basically very holistically Mm -hmm. um, and like whole bodily. And I think when we say things like holistic, people think, oh, it's like all alternative or, you know, some type of way of viewing our health. But really, I think it includes like managing your time, managing your medication, managing your integrative or alternative approaches. Like we, our body doesn't work in silos, which is the number one thing like we work on through biofeedback at Flowly, right? Is like, we're teaching you that you can do a few things that can affect multiple parts of your body because they're all connected. Yeah. Um, Especially through your nervous system, which a lot of people with chronic conditions, invisible illnesses know a lot about. And Um, we all have anxiety because of that, you know? And I honestly think so much of that is environmental. It's because of the world's expectations. It's not because of us. There's nothing that's wrong with us per se. You know, it's actually that like the world isn't designed with us in mind. It's designed with white males in mind. That's just how the world is. So we have to find ways to make it work for us. I think this kind of leads into the next question, which is you 
you've really developed like a way of managing so much of the work that you're doing. I mean, you do so many things in a day, but at the same time, you're managing your own health and prioritizing that, um, which is, I think, something that we're all trying to manage wherever you are on the spectrum of having invisible illness or maybe just somebody that has stress in their daily lives, which who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you interview and meet so many Spoonies and invisible illness warriors. Have you seen any consistent patterns or behaviors or techniques or even ways of thinking that you feel like have come up repeatedly and have been helpful to multiple people that you might want to share. Yeah, totally. That mind-body connection that you mentioned earlier, like that is probably one of the most important things. For some people, it's about like finding a meditation practice, you know, but whatever it is that you do to deepen that mind-body connection to know when your body feels good and when it feels off, um, which also includes mental health support, those are probably like the number one thing that I hear. This idea of shifting your perspective to prioritize yourself before anyone else, knowing that you can't pour from an empty cup, literally, and that you have to learn self-love and acceptance because this chronic illness journey, like, and I know this, it sounds like a platitude, you know, but like when your body betrays you, literally, um, and sends you to places you never thought you'd go, there's a distrust. And it's about finding your way back to yourself. And Mm. for me, I think before I got sick, I was all up here in my head. And I was able, when my body failed me, to be like, oh, my body's part of that. Like there's a a mind-body connection, you know, and to connect to community and support um, and discover that your condition might not be the worst thing. After all, it may actually be a gift if you let yourself go there. I know that's not universally true, but my life was turned upside down when I got sick and I'm a better person because of it. I've got a happier life than I ever could have imagined. That's because of my privilege, but it's also because I have been consciously aware of creating that kind of space for myself. And I think a lot of other people would agree that they're doing that for themselves where they can too. A lot of the people I've interviewed talk about gratitude. I don't, keep a journal myself, but I know many people do. I just make sure that I celebrate the wins, however small or large. Um, So gratitude can look like a lot of different things for a lot of different people. You want to make sure that you're keeping friends and family around you who celebrate you too and allow you to celebrate them. Something that also comes up is this idea of continued growth, whether that's That's through therapy or coaching or self-help books or yoga or exercise or cooking, like whatever works for you. I encourage everyone to sort of find your thing and let yourself do it and master new elements of it continually. Trust in yourself and your body above all else and all others, knowing that your body is right no matter what you do. Being open to shifting your narrative because that's sort of in all of this, you know, that's sort of that through line. Being open to help and learning when to ask for help when you need it from those who can and will be there is super important, which is also connected to boundaries. Um, That's something that comes up a lot when I talk to people too, that like we need to be exercising healthy use of boundaries in our relationships to protect our own energies um, as well as others. And I think probably lastly, I would also say this shift in identity. A lot of us get sick and we become our illness. And I think it's really about shifting that narrative and understanding that you're not your illness. You're not a burden. You define yourself and you can take the reins and use your hope and free will. And like Pandora's box was open for a reason. And I really encourage everyone to 
you know, seek positivity because it's really, I think it's more tempting and easier sometimes to go down a spiral and you can see it in front of you, like, especially with depression and anxiety and those who've experienced it, like you can see it in front of you and you can see where you're headed and go, okay, instead of going there, I'm just going to go a little to the left and see what comes of it. And I think often that comes with like seeking community and and seeking people who are going to be able to help support you on that journey too. No, that's so important. I, we need to write all this down. There were so many tips there. Um, I mean, to be fair, like yeah. I talked to a lot of people, so I've got a lot yeah. of tips. <laughs> there is a lot of tips. I, I wanted to double click on one of them, which was you mentioned um, the activities, like finding an activity you really love or that mm-hmm. you really immerse yourself in. And the reason I say that is a lot of people ask me why we're called Flowly, and it's because we put people into flow state. But yeah. a one really easy and kind of free way to put yourself into flow state it's a little bit inconsistent, but the more you do it, the more you feel it out is to find a hobby that you really enjoy. You don't have to be good at it. Nope. <laughs> you, you do, do not, not have to be good, good at it. it. You just need to find it fun and compelling. And it could be knitting, it could be writing, it could be planting, you know, new um, vegetation or flowers. Or coloring or whatever. Yeah. Literally anything, taking a bath, like, but making sure that you find that one thing that you can incorporate daily. Um, I think is a really small but important tip that you brought up. I would also say with cultivating that activity that gives you joy and turning somewhere, having a place to go when you need to be lit up, you know, um, I would also say that one of the things that comes up around that is to work on that when things are good. For those of us who have chronic illnesses and go through flares, right? When your energy is good and when your health is, is in a good place, go there so that you'll be able to teach yourself to go there even when it's bad and create a habit, but a really positive one for you um, and be able to expand those skills when things are good. You are preaching to the, like that is the (laughs) exact point. I tell everybody like it's, I hear a lot of people say like when we talk about different practices, I mean, I say flow is an example, but literally could be meditation, could be any kind of intervention you're using to do it when you're feeling good. Because you don't want to take, like, even with some types of medication, like, you don't want to take it to chase away pain. Um, You want to be, you want to prep yourself for the times where you can learn to manage it. Yeah, double click, double click on that. Yeah, for me, that looks like, I mean, honestly, for me, that looks like tidying, right? Like, I clear my space and keep things tidy so that my space is designed for my success, no matter my state, you know, whether that's like putting dishes on the dish rack or adding a pump to my shampoo bottle so that if I'm having joint pain, I don't have to worry about picking up a heavy bottle and tipping it over. Just like things like that, like considering what makes your life more accessible and and makes you feel safest and best at home, especially now when we're all stuck at home. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. Um, I think you're a wealth of experience, but you know, please come back, join us anytime. Oh my gosh, anytime. <laughs> I always love chatting with you anyway. So yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you. Well, and guys, okay. check out Flowly because it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and listen to the Uninvisible Pod. Mm-hmm.